to welcome you all to the inclusive activism podcast i'm very very excited to have today's guest here with us daryl davis uh daryl davis is the is the is an author of many books he is a speaker he is a musician of world renown been to several different countries uh but part of the reason why uh, i have him here today is because daryl is an expert at seeing the humanity and folks where we might not expect to see it but i don't want to tell Daryl's story for him, but he very much uh, lives in the heart of what we attempt to do in inclusive activism, which is really see the person behind the thought and idea so we can find opportunities to connect and make the world better for one another. Uh, He is also uh, the star of a a documentary called Accidental Courtesy, which I've watched several times and I have my students see in my classes. Uh, And I think that's a wonderful thing for people to see and understand and get that nuance of But with that, I don't want to take the guest's opportunity to introduce himself in his own words. So, Daryl, I want to give you this time and space to introduce yourself to my audience in the way that you feel comfortable, most comfortable telling people who you are. Well, thank you, Rowdy, and thank you very much for having me. I really, really appreciate it being here. And I appreciate, you know, your your willingness to take on this task. A lot of people consider this kind of talk, you know, taboo. And that's the problem. That's why, you know, the thing has not been addressed as of yet. But uh, I, I just turned 63 last week. Happy and birthday. Yeah, in my, in my 63 years, uh, starting as a child of parents in the U.S. Foreign Service, so I grew up as an American embassy brat, I began traveling abroad at the age of three, living in different countries in Africa, Europe, and other places. Today, you know, I graduated with my degree in music, and I'm a performing musician today, uh, since the 1980s full-time. So I also travel around the world. And in my 63 years, I have been to 57 out of the 195 countries currently on our planet today. I've been, I've performed in 49 of our 50 states. And all that is to say is that I have been exposed to a multitude of skin colors, cultures, uh, ethnicities, religions, beliefs, ideologies, persuasions, etc., And all of that exposure has helped shape who I've become. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you something, no matter how far I go from this country, whether it's, you know, it's my own country, the United States, mm-hmm. whether I go to Canada or Mexico or halfway around the globe, no matter how different the people may be who I encounter, You know, they don't look like me, they don't speak like me, worship like me, or practice, you know, the culture I practice. When I get home, I conclude one thing. We all are human beings. And as such, we all basically want the same five core values in our lives. We all want to be loved. We want to be respected. We want to be heard. We want to be treated fairly. And we want the same thing for our family as anybody else wants for their family. Mm-hmm. And as long as we understand that everybody wants those five core values and we employ them in whatever society or whatever culture we may find ourselves in with which we're unfamiliar, I will guarantee you that navigation will be a lot more smooth. You know, um, I'll give you an example of something. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> to understand cultures and things. Mm -hmm. here, here in our country, we consider uh, Friday the 13th to be um, superstitious, you know, you know, bad luck mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, that's, you know, in, you know that's, that's over here in the States. Mm -hmm. In Spain, they don't avoid Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. They avoid Tuesday the 13th. <laughs> so now we may consider that to be odd or something, Right. Uh, you know, Tuesday, I mean, what's wrong with Tuesday the 13th, right? Yeah. But then again, they're probably thinking, what's wrong with our Friday the 13th? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's the same thing, just right. two different two different places. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have to understand each other's culture and respect it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were to invite me over to your house, say, for dinner or something, mm -hmm. and uh, at the end of dinner, I take my napkin and I wipe my mouth and I fold the napkin back up and set it, set it by my plate. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't think anything of it. You wouldn't think anything of it if I balled up the napkin and set it by my plate. Right. You know, that means nothing. But if let's let's say you're you're an American businessman mm -hmm. and uh, and you want to do some import export business with uh, some company in Norway. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so you contact somebody from that company. You don't know the person, but but you know they you know they agree to to, to listen to your proposal and you come over there. Uh, you fly over there to meet this person. And, you know, you try to negotiate something and the person invites you over to his home for dinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you're going to this Norwegian's house for the first time for dinner and nice dinner. You enjoyed it. You know, you wipe your mouth and you fold your napkin and set it back down, you know, and then go to the uh, living room for coffee and talk about business. Mm -hmm. Well, you just told that family that you did not enjoy their meal and you probably will not come back. Mm. Yeah. You do not want to fold your napkin. You want to ball it up and set it by your plate. That means you really like that meal. Yeah. So, you know, if you didn't know that, you might inadvertently, out of ignorance, offend somebody. And right. they don't know that you don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is why it's important to talk to people. Yeah. You know, a missed opportunity for dialogue is a missed opportunity for conflict resolution. That, that I, I very much resonate and agree with. And one of the, the big reasons why I had you on and why I was excited to speak to you is, uh, you know, there's a term that's been floating around. Uh, uh, Abram Kendi X uh, coined that term anti-racist. He's wrote a whole book about it. Um, in my view, you took that whole notion of anti-racist to a whole nother step and a whole nother level. And they may not know or be familiar with your anti-racist work. Um, how would you best like to tell uh, my audience about the work that you've chosen to engage in? Well, um, technically, I, I, I don't describe it. Okay? I would say I'm not anti-racist. Right. I'm anti-racism. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's uh, a great I'm, way to I'm pro-humanity. Yes. Now, I understand the term anti-racist. It means yeah. a lot of different things. Uh, and of course, you know, you're using it in, in, the, you know, in a positive context. Right. Uh, but... There's so many people out there who are anti-racist mm -hmm. and they are anti-racist. You know, they want to go out and beat up racists and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, I, now I'm not against the person. Yeah. I'm against the person's ideology. Right. Because I think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I want to support the person and make that person more human, you mm -hmm. know, understand humanity. Mm -hmm. um, well, what I do is I employ those, those five uh, values. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to listen to somebody. Okay, for example, I'll give you... I'll give you a couple of examples here. I, I had a question when I was a kid 
uh, at the age of 10 after people threw rocks and bottles at me when I was the only black Cub Scout in an in a all-white parade. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that. I was baffled. Uh, you know, what, what had I done wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, no, nobody else was getting bottles thrown at them. I was so naive because I'd been around the, the world and dealt with all kinds of cultures. I couldn't imagine uh, anybody, you know, wanting to hurt me because of the color of my skin. It just was not in my sphere. Yeah. And so I was baffled as to why I was being attacked this way. And at the end of the parade, I was told I had done nothing wrong. Yeah. It was because of the color of my skin. And that was even more baffling <laughs> because my 10-year-old brain could not process that, right. you know? And uh, anyway, so my question was, how can you hate me? You know, we don't even know me. Yeah. So when I would interview uh, white supremacists, and I still interview them, um, I asked, you know, how can you hate me? You don't even know me. You just met me five minutes ago, you know? Yeah. And I'm told, well, Mr. Davis, it's the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Mr. Davis, you know, black people are prone to crime. And that is evidenced by the fact that there are more blacks in prison than there are whites. Yeah. Now, what he is saying is true. Yeah. Right? There are indeed more black people in prison than white people. Yeah. So he's seen the statistics, the data. Right. And, and it reflects correctly in this case. Yeah. However, he's not seeing the reason behind the data. Exactly. Part of the reason is the imbalance in our judicial system, mm-hmm. you know, which is why everybody's watching the George Floyd trial right now, right? Yep, you absolutely. Know? Okay, so all he sees is the is the data. So he figures, okay, well, there are more black people in there convicted of crimes than white people, so therefore they must be prone to crime. That's his perception. One's perception is one's reality. That's true. Okay, and I'll get back to that in a second. So then, now I'm just sitting back listening to him. Because mm-hmm. he's the head of the clan. When he walked in my room to, to be interviewed and he saw me, his wall went right up. Right. Because I am not the object of his affection. Right? <laughs> he's in the clan because people like me, right? right. Who look like me. Yeah. So um, he, he's ready to radiate hate and let me know that I am inferior mm-hmm. and he is superior because he is a white supremacist, mm-hmm. supreme, right? So, yeah. you know, he has to establish his place and make sure I know my place, right. which is below his. Yeah. So I'm just sitting back listening. So basically, he's telling me I'm a criminal because I have black skin. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, uh, black people are inherently lazy, that mm-hmm. we do not want to work. Uh, we prefer to scam the uh, government welfare system and always have our hand out for a freebie and all this kind of stuff. And then he goes on to say that uh, black people are born with a smaller brain than white people. And the larger the brain, the larger capacity for intelligence. The smaller the brain, the lower the IQ. So all in the space of a few minutes, the man has called me a criminal, Mm -hmm. told me that I'm lazy, and told me that I'm basically dumb because I have a small brain. Mm -hmm. I'm not pushing back. In In most instances, somebody attacks you like that, they're gonna push back. You know, you know, they're going to defend themselves and get all emotional and, and want to fight and whatever else. Uh, and then the whole conversation, you know, devolves, right? So I'm just sitting back, listening to the guy. And now his wall is coming down mm-hmm. because he's being heard. Right. Right. Uh, and he's wondering, how come this black guy isn't pushing back? I know he doesn't believe what I'm saying about him, you know, right. and he's curious. Mm-hmm. So he finishes radiating all his uh, vitriol. Mm-hmm. And he, I can say, you know, he says, you know, black people have the smaller brain. He says that is evidenced by the fact that uh, black kids, students, uh, score lower consistently year after year on the SATs 
than white kids. And again, that is true. You know, we look at the stats, black kids do consistently score lower on the SATs. You know what's but, funny is huh? uh, he's so well-versed in the outcomes of systemic racism. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yeah, exactly. And, and um, But he's not looking at why do the black kids score lower? Yeah. He's not interested. All he's interested in is, oh, you know, these guys must be dumb because they don't have the, the good grades that the white kids do. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason being, where do most black kids go to school? In the inner city. Where do most white kids go to school? In the suburbs. Mm-hmm. We know inner city schools are not as well funded as suburban schools. You know, the quality of education there is not as good. And I will guarantee you that black kids who go to school in the suburbs can score just as high, if not higher, than some of the white kids. White kids who go to school in the inner city, most of them score just as low, if not lower, than some of the black kids. It has nothing to do with the color of anybody's skin or the size of their brain, but it has everything to do with the quality of the educational system in which that child is enrolled. But of course, he's not seeing that. His perception is the data, and that forms his reality. Okay, so now... He has radiated. All, I'm let, sorry, me, let me ask you a real quick question, right? Because sure. so, what I'm so interested in, in is what you've been able to do with this listening practice. So as you sit down and all this stuff comes out, what what is what are you doing internally that makes you not emotionally triggered so you can listen the way you do and have the patience in that space? In your head, what's happening when that goes on? Okay, uh, several things. One, I realize that this guy has not had the experiences and education that I have, mm-hmm. okay? So he is perceiving things mm-hmm. and his perceptions are twisted. Okay. Um, you know, racism to me is a mental illness. Yeah. Okay, and it needs to be cured. Yes. Now, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, they all have this book called the DSM. Mm-hmm. I think they're on the DSM number five right now. Mm-hmm. And and the you know they put in that book what are classified as mental illnesses, mm-hmm. and every now and then they change it. They take something out, yeah. put something else in. Like for a while back, a while back they had homosexuality as a mm-hmm. mental illness. Now that's out of the book, yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, they you know there's a big argument. Uh, they don't want to put racism in there, and these are mostly white psychologists because of course. They did, you know, half the country would be institutionalized. <laughs> but that would be great because there would be a need for mental health for these folks, right? Like, it, it, but it, then on the exactly yes, but then on on the other side of the coin, if they go out and commit a hate crime and kill somebody, then they can plead, you know, mental illness. You know, so it's a two-sided sword, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so what happens is this. Okay, so I have my emotions intact. Right. All right. I know who I am. And this is what I tell people. Do not. Well, first of all, do your homework. Learn as much about your adversary as you can. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be all about race. It could be anything. Abortion, mm-hmm. nuclear weapons, uh, the current presidency, the election, mm-hmm. you know, uh, global warming, the war in the Middle East. You know, those are all hot topics. Abortion. You're on one side, somebody's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Learn about their position. Learn how they came to arrive at that position. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in their shoes and see if you feel anything different, all right? Yeah. But keep your emotions intact right. and know who you are. Yes. And have your self-esteem in check. Because yeah. if you don't know who you are, 
and you walk into a room with them, they're likely to tell you who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you, you might believe them when you walk out. So, well, and I love that point because what you're saying is you already know your worth. And you're also recognizing this is just this person's opinion with the knowledge they have. In exactly. Them. And that kindness and the patience that you're willing to extend, that's one of those things that's truly different about what you're able to do that creates that opportunity for human connection. And also, Rowdy, also is this. You know, we are a very impatient society. Yeah. Uh, you know, we want things yesterday. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Okay. These people were not born racist. You know, they became yeah. And and some of them have been in it for a long time. Perhaps yeah. they came into it because my grandfather was in the clan. My mm-hmm. daddy was in the clan, so I'm in the clan, and my kids going to be in the clan. It might be generational, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, or they moved into a town and the whole town was, you know, that that mentality or something. Right. Uh, or uh you know, they met a new friend, you know, that they liked and he he shared a book with them and they went down that rabbit hole or something. Yeah. Uh, there are many different reasons how people get there. But here's the thing, know who you are mm-hmm. and try to understand how they arrived at where they are, okay? Yeah. So then what happens is this. The guy has radiated all his vitriol. Right. And now he's, because I I, I listened to him, people want to be heard. Yeah. I, I allowed him to be heard. Mm-hmm. I respected him, okay? Now understand, I did not respect what he had to say. Right. I simply respected his right to say it. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people get confused with that. All right. Yeah. So I've already employed two of those principles. I treated him fairly. I let him talk. Now he's going to let me talk. So it's fair treatment. So now he's curious as to how come I haven't pushed back on him. So he wants to hear what I have to say because he knows I got something to say about being called a criminal and and ladies' house. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to address him now. I could go on the offense and attack him, and I could say, "No, you are the criminal." You and, and, and your group are people who go and hang black men from trees and drag them behind pickup trucks and bomb their churches. Mm-hmm. And I would be 100% correct because the Klan has a 156-year history of doing that. Absolutely. But if I did that, his wall would go right back up. He'd be like this. Yeah. You know, he, he's not going to, you know, sit there and be attacked. Mm-hmm. All right. So rather than go on the offense, I go on the defense. And I say to him, I said, listen, I hear you. However, I'm as black as anybody you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't have a criminal record. Mm-hmm. I've never been on welfare. And as far as my brain size goes, I've never measured my brain size, but I'm sure it's about the same size as anybody else's. <laughs> right. and, uh, and my SAT scores, they got me into college. I have a bachelor's degree. I've already done my homework. I know this guy barely made it out of high school. Right. So I know that I have more education in my little fingernail than he and his whole clan group put together. Right. But I'm not going to throw that in his face. Right. I just bring the wall right back up. Right. right? So I'm defending myself. Mm-hmm. And here's what happens. Here's where the patience needs to be. Mm-hmm. Just like at the end of the day, you know, you're going to reflect on this conversation that we had before you go to bed or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, just like, you know, we all do that kind of stuff. He'll go home. And I've seen this time and time again. I've been doing this now for 37 years. What happens is, because they tell me later when they quit, here's what happens. You know, they go home and they think, damn, you know, I just had a three-hour conversation with a black man, you know, and and, and we didn't come to blows. You know, we got a little loud. He was actually kind of nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, and what that Daryl guy said, you know, it it, it makes some sense. Oh, but he's black. 
Um, but what he but what he said was true. Oh, but he's black, so they're having a cognitive dissonance, right? Right. He mm-hmm. knows what I said was true either because he knows it to be true, or he or he looked into it and found it to be true, and now he's wondering how come this black guy knew the truth and he didn't. Right. You know, I, I'm the superior one. How come he knows the truth? That kind of thing. Yeah. So they they end up having a dilemma. Do I disregard that Daryl that Daryl guy's skin? And and uh, and change my direction because I know it's true, or or do I consider his skin color and keep on living a lie? Right. That becomes their dilemma. Yeah. And in most cases, they will follow the path of the truth. It yeah. may take a little while, but they will. All right. Yeah. But there will always be those who will go to their grave being hateful, uh, violent, and racist. Uh, you know, they're sociopaths, or they crave the power because when you reach a certain level. Right. those organizations yeah. you got followers yeah and you know how do you go and tell your followers hey folks i was wrong yeah you know that's you know you, 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 you want the power you know you yeah. want you have power you don't want to give it up yeah um so it's struggle with that and yeah. then, but even those people if they're willing to sit down and have a conversation with you and you present like that and you employ those five values they will struggle and in most cases they will go the right way but you know but understand there'll always be those who won't but it does not happen overnight like a light switch just flip it on and off you know they, they struggle for a while of course yeah. right and i think like for me one of the things i've done in my work because what i attempt to do is talk about the times i did it wrong because there's so much of this stuff that i've done wrong like i grew i'm i'm a 46 you know i was raised in a very homophobic culture when i was younger like i you know i said some horrible stuff back in my day too right and i remember the times that i perpetuated horror and this is one of the things that gives me that ability to have that empathy i think that you are able to extend to others um so one of the things i was curious so uh I've done some work with police officers before and not that you know sometimes those are the same folks and sometimes they're not uh, one of the things that I always have a, have a hard time with is whenever I come in to talk to um, uh, police about like anti-racism, right? They're always like, you're going to call me racist. You're going to call me racist. And I'm like, I'm not here to call anybody racist. I'm here to fight racism, right? Um, but they're like, you don't understand what it's like, Rowdy. Rowdy, you just don't get it. They see us. They see the badge. They think they made up their mind. They think they know me. And I go, that's kind of interesting. That sounds a little bit like stereotypes. <laughs> you know, it sounds like everybody's painting you with the same brush. You know, I've got some experience with this, right? Do you feel like uh, folks that are in white supremacist spaces go through some similar processes where, you know, they've experienced like maybe marginalization or being rejected and and they have a need for belonging. And I think that's what people don't get that I think you've, you've found through your patients is under... You can't, one of the things I love that she said in Accidental Courtesy, you can't get to hate unless you got fear. Yeah. What I think you do is understand what's going on with fear and unpack fear and create a space where they can be open with fear. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that experience. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me uh, give you a couple things on that. Um, First of all, at the, well, let let me give you an example of, of something that happened. Okay. Uh, with one at one of these meetings with with the with the clan leader, yeah, um, he came to the interview with his bodyguard, uh, who was armed, 
And um, the clan leader came in a uh, dark blue suit and tie. And the bodyguard was in uh, military camouflage with the clan patch, red circle, white cross on his chest over here, blood drop. The, the, the letters KKK across this side of the chest. And embroidered on his cap, it said Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And on his right hip, he had a, a semi-automatic handgun in a holster. And so they didn't know I was black. And so when they walked into the motel room and saw me, they're like, you know, they just like froze. <laughs> and and the, the, the clan leader was walking right behind his, his uh, bodyguard. And so the bodyguard turned the corner and saw me and froze. And the uh, and the leader didn't didn't realize it and like smacked into his back and knocked him forward. And now they both are like stumbling around, you know, looking all over the place, trying to regain their balance. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, looking at them. Yeah. And I, I could read their faces like a billboard, man. Yeah. Their faces were saying, did the desk clerk give us the wrong room number? <laughs> you know, or was just an ambush, you know? Right. And so I, I saw the apprehension. So I stood up and I showed my palms. Yeah. So you know, they could see I had nothing in my hands. Yeah. And I walked forward. I put my right hand up. I said, hi, I'm Daryl Davis. And they both shook my hand. Yeah. And now I, I was told not to fool with this guy because he would kill me. Yeah. This, uh, this uh, clan leader. And um, I'm like, but that's why I need to see him. Like, why would he kill me? I need to understand this, right? Yeah. So anyway, they both shook my hand. They came in. Uh, he sat down, and the bodyguard stood at, at attention to his right. And I sat on the other side of the table, just a, a little lamp table. So we're only like two feet away from each other, right? And my secretary was sitting on the dresser next to me because mm -hmm. there were no more chairs. I had a black canvas bag beside my chair in which I had um, a cassette recorder, which I sat on the table and asked permission to record. He said, mm -hmm. okay. And I had some blank cassettes and a copy of the Bible because the Klan claims to be a Christian organization. And he claims, you know, that the, the Klan uh, preaches racial separation. So mm -hmm. I wanted to be able, you know, pull out my Bible and say, here, please, show yeah. me chapter and verse. Yeah. So anyway, I'm all prepared. So, you know, we're talking and stuff. And every time my cassette ran out of tape, I'd reach down to get a fresh cassette or reach down to get the Bible because he made some ridiculous statement I want him to prove. Mm -hmm. Every time I reach down like this, the bodyguard reach up like this to his hip. Yeah. You know? And I understood that. That's his job. His job right. is to protect his boss. Yeah. He doesn't know me. I'm the enemy. And right. he has no clue what's in my bag. So mm -hmm. I got all that. Yeah. Um, and then after a little while, he relaxed, realizing there's no threat. And I went in and out of the bag. He didn't move. Yeah. About an, maybe just over an hour into this conversation, uh, the clan leader and I are talking. Yeah. And out of nowhere, there was this fast, short noise, like a, that was it. That was just out of nowhere. And we all like jumped. Mm -hmm. I came up out of my chair because I was going to fly across that table and yeah. attack it. Yeah. That's how quick my, my mind was working. Yeah. Because, you know, you're already in a situation. I'm black. This is the head of the clan. Uh, I'm already told not to fool with him. He'll kill me. Right. You know, so I, you know, I'm I, my radar is up, my alerts are on. Yeah. And now this this guy is making some weird noise that I can't explain. It was so fast and so short that my ear could not discern what it was. Right. But I knew that he did it. How yeah. did I know he did it? Because I didn't do it. So right. you know, if you don't do something, you blame somebody else. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I had gone into survival mode. When you mm -hmm. fear for your life you go into survival mode. Yeah. You do whatever you gotta do to survive. Yeah. Some people, they just faint, they pass out. Right. Uh, because the fear is so great, 
their brain can't process it and shuts down. Yeah. Uh, other people, they 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 constrict and start shaking. Yeah. You know, and they can't move. That's mm -hmm. called paralysis by fear. Yeah. Uh, I don't do that either. Mm -hmm. Third thing people would do is to run away. That is your best option. As mm -hmm. quickly as you can, separate yourself yep. from the source of the fear. Get out of there, right? Mm -hmm. That's the option I would have chosen if it was available. Yeah. But you cannot outrun a bullet in a motel room. No. Not, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not armed. My secretary is not armed. I know the bodyguard is armed. I can see his gun. I didn't know if the clan leader had a weapon up under his suit and tie or not. Yeah. Uh, so the fourth thing you do is to do a preemptive strike. Get mm -hmm. them before they get you. Right. So I was ready to dive across the table, grab the bodyguard, grab the clan leader, and slam them down to the ground and immobilize that weapon. Mm -hmm. All right. Because it's my job to protect my secretary and myself. Right. When I hit the table, I was looking right into his eyes. Yeah. And I didn't say a word. But I knew he could read my eyes. My yeah. eyes were saying to him, what did you just do? Yeah. And his eyes had fixated on mine. Yeah. And I could read his eyes. His eyes were saying to me, what did you just do? And the bodyguard he had his hand back on, on the butt of his gun, looking yeah. at both of us like, what did either one of y'all just do? Yeah. Well, Mary, my secretary, she's over here on top of the dresser. She realized what had happened. Yeah. She began explaining it to us. <clears throat> Before they even arrived, I sent her down the hallway to get soda pop out of the machine yeah. so I could offer my guests, you know, a cold yeah. beverage. And yeah. she filled the ice bucket with ice, put the soda in there. Well, the ice had begun melting and the cans of soda were shifting yeah. Yeah. down the ice. Yeah. <clears throat> we all began laughing. Right. But it was ridiculous. Somebody could have gotten shot over an ice cube. Yeah. That's how crazy it was, right? right. But this was a humanizing moment. Because right. in the same moment, even though we're on opposite ends of the spectrum, ideologically, we both felt fear. Yeah. And that fear was triggered by our ignorance. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know we, we had forgotten about the bucket of ice and cans of soda. Mm -hmm. You know, we were so involved in our conversation. So right. our ignorance led to fear. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then when the fear was addressed and we realized what it was, we all felt joy. Yeah. We were still on opposite ends, but we felt joy, all yes. of us, you know? Yeah. That, those are human emotions. So that put a human face on him for me and put yeah. a human face on me for him. Yeah. You understand? So it was a teaching moment. Yeah. Now, he, the lesson taught is this. All because some foreign, and underscore, underline, highlight the word foreign, circle it, entity of which we were ignorant, that being the bucket of ice cans of soda, had entered into our little comfort zone mm -hmm. via the noise that it made, yeah. we became fearful of each other. Ignorance breeds fear. Yeah. If we do not address that fear, it will escalate mm -hmm. and breed hatred because we hate the things that frighten us. Yeah. If we do not address the hatred, the hatred turns to anger and escalates and breeds destruction. Mm -hmm. We want to destroy the things that we hate. Why? Because they frighten us. But guess what? At the end of the day, they may have been harmless and we were simply ignorant, all right? So if you want to solve this problem, the way most people solve problems, uh, like in corporations or, or departments, or say police departments, for example, mm -hmm. is top down. You yeah. gotta get the top straightened out, get the management, you know, the, 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 the lieutenants and the sergeants and the majors and everybody up there. When they're tight up there, the subordinates down below will be tight. 
Mm-hmm. But if they're loose at the top, they're going to be loose down on the street. Yeah. You know? So it's a top-down approach. However, mm-hmm. in cases like this, you can't do that. It's got to be bottom-up. Yeah. All right? Um, I say forget about the destruction. Forget about the hate. Forget about the fear. Those are byproducts. Mm-hmm. They're symptoms of the nucleus, of yeah. the source. The yeah. source is ignorance. Yeah. If you cure the ignorance, then there's nothing to fear. Right. We fear that of which we're ignorant. Yeah. With no ignorance, there's no fear. With mm-hmm. no fear, there's nothing to hate. Mm-hmm. With nothing to hate, there's nothing to get mad about and destroy. Yeah. So the good thing is there is a cure for ignorance. That cure is called education and exposure. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing as a teacher. You're mm-hmm. educating people. You are alleviating their ignorance. Mm-hmm. And this is where our resources, our efforts, our time, our money need to go. Is, mm-hmm. is to having better education and exposure for people. And that way we alleviate all those byproducts. Yeah. All right. Because again, one's perception is one's reality. Absolutely. And, and this works with both kids and adults. Okay. Um, look, in that room with the ice bucket and soda, we almost saw that whole chain unravel to completion. Yeah. Completion would have been had the Nighthawk, the bodyguard, drawn his uh, weapon and, and shot you know, me or my secretary. Right. Or had I pounced across the table and right. hurt one of them. But it stopped short of there. Mm-hmm. But three and a half years ago, on August 12th, 2017, you saw that, that whole chain unravel to full completion in Charlottesville, Virginia where they had that big white supremacist rally. Yeah. On that day, there was a lot of ignorance in Charlottesville. Yeah. There was a lot of fear. Yeah. It, 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 it escalated into hate. Mm-hmm. And it culminated with destruction. When a white supremacist got inside his vehicle and tried to murder as many counter-protesters as he could by driving his vehicle full force into the crowd, mm-hmm. he succeeded in injuring 20 people and murdering one young lady named Heather Heyer. Right. So... This is why we have to address the nucleus. You know, you don't, if you have cancer in your bone, you know, you can't put a Band-Aid on top or some topical mm-hmm. cream. you got to hit that chemo down to the bone or radiation, whatever it is, down to the bone. Yeah. Ignorance is the bone. You know, racism is a cancer. Yeah. You've got to go to the source. All right. So now back to the perception thing, for example. Like I said, it works with kids. It works with adults. <clears throat> um, if... Uh, when, when I'm talking to like little kids, like in elementary school or middle school sometimes, um, of course I tone it down, but I'll be standing in the front of the classroom and I'll be talking to these kids and then, you know, they're lined up in their little desks, you know, in rows. And all of a sudden I'll say, hey, hey, there's a snake under your chair. And I'll point yeah. to somebody in the front row. Yeah. And do you know they all, even five rows back, start screaming and throwing their legs up in the air? Yeah. To avoid the snake that's in the front row, you right. know, yeah. or the alleged snake. And so then they realize, you know, there is no snake and they start laughing. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm saying to them, you know, why, why are you all screaming? Why are you all throwing your legs up there? The responses are, you know, I'm afraid of snakes. I hate snakes. There's your fear. There's your hate. All right. And I say, well, why, why are you afraid of snakes? Why do you hate them? Oh, well, they're slimy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, you know, they're poisonous. Well, there's your ignorance. Snakes are not slimy. You know, if you ever touch a snake, it's dry, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you move if it's slimy. Yeah, and uh, and not all snakes are poisonous. So mm-hmm. there's your ignorance. The ignorance has has bred the fear. The fear has bred the hatred. And then I say to them, okay, so there is no snake under your chair. Obviously, I was just joking. But let's just say 
There really was a snake under that chair right there. What would you want me to do? You know what they say? Kill it. There's your destruction. So there's a question I want to ask you because, uh, and I want to kind of disclose a little bit about my own struggles with some of the stuff is uh, I feel like folks that are on our team that believe the same thoughts and ideas that we believe in or try to work towards are starting to manifest some of the behaviors that you're talking about too. And when you're in this middle space that we try to occupy where we're really attempting to bring people together, sometimes folks that believe the same stuff that we do will hate and attack us because it's safer to be ideologically pure and, you know, like, you know, like that's where you get like, where things like political correctness, you know, people talk to me about political correctness. I don't want you to be politically correct. Like if you have a thought and idea, I want you to change your thought and idea. I don't just want you to not say it because I'm here. Right. Or we talk about cancel culture and like, you know, like I don't want to cancel people. I want people to stop doing behaviors that are problematic. Um, But one of the things that's hard and it's funny because you're a musician, right? And like you love music and that is fun. And I've, I've been an entertainer. I wouldn't say I'm skilled enough in music to call myself a musician, but I've entertained people through music. Um, but what you do is hard and it takes critique from both sides. Um, I wanted to get your thought about what you're seeing with this form of fear and certainty and withdrawal from conversation from folks that are on the same team of us. Um, and you can answer that to whatever degree you feel comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I believe in being transparent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't believe, you know, we, you know, we want people to walk around on eggshells. Right. You know, that's been the problem. I, I'm not a big fan of political correctness mm-hmm. uh, myself. You know, I, you know, I want you to tell me exactly how you feel. Describe it in your own words. Don't try to uh, water it down because I'm black and you don't want to offend me or whatever. I need to know exactly how you feel. I'm not going to take any offense to it because I'm asking you. I'm inviting you to be you. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in exchange for allowing me to be you, I mean, for, allowing, for me allowing you to be you, mm-hmm. I want you to please allow me to be me. And don't take any, any offense to anything I may say that you find offensive. I would, it's a learning experience. We're trying to enlighten one another. Mm-hmm. Let's put political correctness, you know, on, you know, on the sideline or out the mm-hmm. back door for, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and let's get to know one another like we did before political correctness ever existed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never know, you know, whether to, to like, I, I got corrected one time on an airplane. I, 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 uh, I, I referred to the lady who was going down the cart, going down the aisle with the cart, um, as a stewardess, mm-hmm. that's out, you know, you know, I go, she's called a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, in my day, we used to call them stewardesses. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see anything offensive by it. But if 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 the guy was offended by it, uh, because I called his colleague a stewardess, mm-hmm. then I don't want to offend him or offend her. But right. at least explain to me what is offensive about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when, when I was in school, the guy who, who who replaced the light bulb and mopped the floor was called the janitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, they're called the maintenance engineer or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it boils down to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but if, there, if, if there's an offense, then educate me. Cure my ignorance. Yeah. But don't come down on me for, for being that way. Right. You know, and, and I'm not going to come down on you 
you know, if you call me the wrong thing. You know, a lot of white people, you know, they don't know how to how to call you. Uh, are you black? Are you African-American? Are you a person of color? Are you a Negro? Are you colored? Are you Afro-American? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know not to call you, you know, the N-word or something like that. Right. But, but what if I call you? you right. know? Um, and so they don't call you anything. You know? yeah. They don't even want to talk to you. Right. Um, and see, now I, I'm a little different. And there are people who agree with me and there are people who look like me who don't agree with me. You know, right. black people are not monolithic like like many white people may think, you know, we all think alike or something. No, you know, we're all individuals. Um, to me, I don't have a problem with the word colored. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with the word Negro. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a problem with the word African-American. Mm -hmm. I prefer to be called black. If, if you're going to call me anything, mm -hmm. you, you can use Negro, you can use colored, I don't care. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not offended by African-American, mm -hmm. but I think it's a misnomer. Right. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. I have lived in Africa for 10 years, yeah. okay, as part of my dad's assignment mm -hmm. and different countries in Africa. Uh, to me in Africa, you know, I, I have been here for 402 years, mm -hmm. okay? I came here in 1619 mm -hmm. as a slave, Yeah. okay? I'm an American. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if you look at me, my heritage is from Africa, sure, mm -hmm. of course, all right? No problem with that, um, but I'm an American. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, an African-American, is someone who just came here last year, a couple of years ago, and they became naturalized. With the connections of Africa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, that's an African-American. Um, and when you've been here generations, generations, you're an American. Just mm -hmm. like, you know, the white people, my neighbors or whatever, you know, I don't consider them to be Euro-Americans. Obviously, look at them, yeah, they, you know, their heritage is from Europe somewhere, all right? But they are American. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to get down to it, anybody who is who is an American, I don't care what color they are, they're all African American. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so we need to, you know, we need to get away from that. And the problem is a lot of this is our fault because we keep changing what we want to be called about every 10 years. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, it, and people get confused. So just like you know, some people are confused by the word color or or offended by the word colored. Or Negro, but yet we have the NAACP. Right. Is that going to change to uh, African American? Yeah. No. Uh, the Negro Baseball League. Is it going to change to the African American Baseball League? No. Right. You know, these were names that we chose. Yeah. And they're good names. You know, and they represent good people. So you know, we need to get over that. But um, I think so. Putting political correctness out and allowing people to to speak freely, allowing them to be heard, is is, is key. To communication um and back to the to the perception thing for a second yeah i keep saying you know one's perception is one's reality and this works for adults as well as children mm -hmm. you cannot change somebody's reality mm -hmm. but if you want their reality to change what you do is you offer them alternative perceptions yeah okay mm -hmm. um because the more you attack their reality the more they're going to defend it Right. And you're going to go nowhere. So yeah. I'll give you an example. Let's say um, your little uh, eight-year-old brother goes with his school to a magic show. Mm -hmm. And uh, he comes home and he's telling you about it. Mm -hmm. He says, yeah, you know, um, the, the magician guy on the stage, he asked for, for a female volunteer and 50 women raised their hands. And he, he called this one up in, in this red top and she came up on stage 
and um, and he put her in the box and stuck her legs out this end, put her head out that end, and they took a chainsaw and he cut that box in half. Mm -hmm. To this eight-year-old kid, this man cut this woman in half. He mm -hmm. saw the chainsaw go all the way through the box and come out the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then to make sure that you understood this woman was cut in half, the magician put the half with the legs on stage left and the other half with the head over yeah. on stage right. And then he went over there and talked to the head yeah. and the head talked back, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then he brought it back together and then he opened the top and the woman got out and she was in full form. Right. And you say, well, you know, that didn't really happen. Yes, it did. I saw it. I was there. You weren't there. I saw him cut that box. And the more you tell him it's not true, he didn't see what he saw the more he's getting pissed off because he knows what he saw. That yeah. man cut that woman in half and you're not telling me any different. Yeah. Okay? So what you do is rather than attack his reality, you might say something like, could it be possible right. that maybe that woman that he called up, he pointed to in the red top, maybe maybe she works for him. Yeah. Maybe she travels with him. She knows the trick. He's right. one of, he, he plants her in the audience everywhere he goes. Yeah. And, and and she has on the same stockings and shoes as a pair of dummy legs in the box. So when yeah. she gets in there, she puts those dummy mannequin legs out the holes and she brings her own legs up under her chest. She kneels or whatever. And then when he cuts the box in half, her whole body is over there. Yeah. And just those dummy legs over here. So then when he brings it back together, she pulls out the dummy legs and then she gets out of the box. Yeah, I like what you say about the whole question perception. Yeah, and then the kid says, well, hmm, you know, I, yeah, I guess that would be the only way that could work. Right. You know, And so he changes his own reality. Right. You are the impetus. You provide the questions that allow for Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. And that's what I do. When right. I sit with these people, yeah, they're going to attack me all day long. Yeah. But I know who I am. Right. You know, um, I might have some concern yeah. if my parents told me that I was prone to crime or yeah. that I was lazy or right. that I was unintelligent. Yeah. They know me. You yeah. just walked in my room five minutes ago and all you see is this. You got to tell me what, what I am. Come on. You know, don't be offended by a lie. Keep your emotions behind you. You know who you are. No, that's great advice. And I got, we don't have a lot of time and I got two questions I wanted to make sure I still asked you. Uh, first one is, what do you think is the most interesting question you've ever been asked? And then while you're thinking about that, the other question that I was going to ask you that I want to give you space to respond to is, what question you do you wish people asked you more? Um, the most interesting question I've ever been asked. In, in regards to, to race relations, you mean? Yeah. Or like, um, yeah. I went out one time with uh, with with a with a woman mm -hmm. uh, who was a you know a uh, she, when I met her she was a, a white supremacist mm -hmm. and, and she got out of it and um, you know I, I, I took her out and and I guess the, the question I was asked was um, you know did, did I did I become involved with her okay and uh, that I, th I thought that was I, I thought that was probably the most interesting question I've ever been asked. Why did you think it was interesting? And we let it go with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Um, and then, what is the question that I've not been asked, you say? No, what is the question you wish people would ask you more? Oh, 
okay, um, what can they do if they don't want to to uh, be on the front line? Yeah. You know, go to a Klan rally, go to a neo-Nazi rally, sit down and, and talk with, with somebody who hates them because they don't feel emotionally um, secure to do that. And they, and they feel they might go off or they might break down or whatever. Uh, I say this, listen, you don't have to be on the front line, mm -hmm. all right? You can be on the back line. Mm -hmm. You can be on the sideline. You can be online, but do something. Help those of us who are on the front line, you know, get the word out, you know, through your social media, through, um, you know, supporting us, you know, help us do our research on these people, right. things like that. Um, you know, contribute to certain causes. It doesn't have to be financial, but, but put the effort in. You know, our, our, our predecessors worked hard so that we would have some of the rights that we have today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I never had to drink from a separate water fountain mm -hmm. um, or, or sit in the back of the bus. Have I felt discrimination? Absolutely, mm -hmm. but not as much as my parents because my parents fought hard so I wouldn't have to go through that. Right. So it's only right that I do the same thing for a future generation. So there, you know, so if, you know, if you don't uh, want to do what I do, and that's fine, that's completely understandable. We all have different levels of comfort, you know. Am I, comfor am I comfortable going to Klan rallies? No, not really, you know. <laughs> I would worry about you if you were. Just yeah, exactly, exactly, you know. <laughs> and, and I would much rather be on stage playing rock and roll and seeing people out on the dance floor dancing to my music to yeah. be at a Klan rally watching a bunch of Klansmen and Klans women in robes and hoods marching around a burning cross yelling white power. You know, yeah. that's not my thing. Yeah. Um, but I do see the need for that, especially today that I need to be there to address some of these things. Well, one of the things I wanted to make sure that uh, my audience knew about you and why I wanted to bring you on is you also have a lot of people that are really critical of you too, Daryl. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people don't understand that activism is a giant wide spectrum of activities and all of it's important and, and all of it matters, right? Because in you understanding how and why people think the way that they do, it helps people unthink these thoughts and ideas. Now that doesn't mean like if you know, you're at Black Lives Matter and doing that, or I'm um, half native, half white, right? So if you're fighting for water rights or tribal sovereignty, like, that's important too, but all parts of this work that help us see the humanity in each other, that help us to connect to the human that is there is valuable and makes a difference. And it's hard because I think uh, these days there's these purity tests of like, well, you'll have to think these things or do these things in this way. And really at the end of the day, it's what can we do to see the humanity to each, in each other to come together to solve problems that we have together. Because one of the things I loved about what you said in your documentary was, you know, like I was really crestfallen after 2016, but what the issue was is the ugliness was there. And now that we know it's there, we got to deal with it. And you've been seeing and looking the ugliness, the thought of ugliest, not the humanity of it, right? The thought, you've been looking right. the thought of ugly in the eye. And you unflinchingly gave it a space to be loved and heard in a non-fearful space. And I love it. I just And you know, it. another thing is, um, whenever you are the first or among the first to do something that is not the status quo, you can expect pushback, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, it's not normal for a black person to go to a Klan rally or sit down and have dinner with, with, with a neo-Nazi or something. Yeah. And I've done all those things, yeah. but they've worked. 
Okay. Um, I, I get that. Just like I, I give the example of Copernicus, the astronomer, who was the first person to say, because, you know, we earthlings, you know, we, we're, we're narcissists, we're egotists. Yeah. And we think we are the center of the universe. Yeah. Right. And the sun revolves around the earth. Yeah. That was the thinking. Yeah. And Copernicus said, no, the earth revolves around the sun. And they called him a heretic and put him in jail for saying that. Yeah. Same thing with Galileo later on. But they both were right. You know, the earth revolves around the sun. Yeah. You know, Columbus, who I don't respect, but, you know, everybody, everybody thought the world was flat and everybody's going to fall off, you know. Yeah. And he said, no, it's round. You know, I'm taking my ships and go over there and, and discover new worlds or whatever. And he was right, you know. So, you know, when you were the first to, to, to do something, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Yeah. Think about this. Uh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, people in this country, the notion of acupuncture. Yeah. Uh, what? You, you put a needle <laughs> in somebody's foot and it fixes a pain in their neck. Oh, you all are full of crap, you know? Yeah. And now insurance companies pay for it, right? Yeah. But guess what? Chinese people have been doing it for 2,000 years. Would they still be doing it 2,000 years later if it wasn't working? Yeah. So, you know, we have to expand our minds. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what we need to do. You're right. I remind people all the time being native. I'm like, we used to sing and blow smoke on people and cure people of cancer. Right. So don't tell us there wasn't truth in it, right? Um, with that, Daryl, I want to respect your time, but I want to make sure people have the ability to get a hold of you, reach out to you um, if the, in case they want to contact you. So what is the best way to do that for, if my audience does want to connect to you? Yeah, two ways. Uh, DarylDavis.com, D-A-R-O-Y-L, Davis.com, and also Minds.com. I have a podcast that I do as well, and you can find it on all the different podcast places, but its home base is change.minds.com. Uh, change.minds.com is where it lives, but if you Google it, you can find it on Apple or Spotify. It's Changing Minds with Daryl Davis. Excellent. And for those of you that take the time to listen, thank you so much for uh, inviting and opening your ears to Mr. Davis and his thoughts and ideas and hope he's given you something to think about, consider, mull with. Uh, how can you listen to people while knowing your own personal self-worth and being uh, aware of those things? And that spirit of inclusive activism lives with you, Daryl, and I appreciate that. So if this made you think of anything or if you don't, ha if you do have a hard time getting a hold of Mr. Davis, you can email me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. Learn more about my organization at inclusiveactivism.com. And we both thank you for your time and attention that you were able to give to us here. Um, and without any final words you want to give to him before we sign off, Daryl? Yeah, let's consider this part one. I'll look forward to doing part two sometime. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that myself. Thank you so, so much. And I'm look, uh, I appreciate all the time you were able to spend with us. Thank you. Take good care.